everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Life Over Coffee. This is episode 336. I want to share a story with you. We had someone to come on our forums, and they're struggling with the recent passing of loved ones. In fact, I think there were multiple deaths that had happened in their family, and they're struggling, as all of us Wood and our team has been responding to this person and just trying to provide guidance, which is what we do. It's what our forums are for. We have interactive forums. Another individual came on today, and they were talking about a the subject that we're, that that thread was about. And the, one of the comments that they made, they said, "I really appreciate how you all can disagree with each other, but you do it in a kind way." And I wrote a note back to her, and I I said to her, I appreciate your comment about our civility, and it's odd that you would even have to make that statement, but that is the kind of world in which we live in, unfortunately. Christian deportment, I mean, we should be kind and gracious to each other all the time, uh, always assessing the log in our eye before we jump to conclusions or make assessments or statements about other people. But unfortunately, as you know, social media in so many places can be quite toxic. And this lady uh, talking about the, the subject matter of that particular thread, she just noted that there was disagreement, even disagreement on our team. But what she was thankful for is that how we disagree with one another. And as I told her, that is one of the things that's at the top of my list as far as the things that I'm thankful for about our forums is that it is a civil place. We, we're not unkind to people. We're not, we're not harsh or, or rude. Uh, we, we will talk directly at times, and we want to communicate the truth as clearly as we can, but there's no place in our ministry for rudeness or a lack of compassion, and she was making note of that, and I want you to know that as well. A lot of people come to our forums, and many of them struggle with fear of man, or there's a little bit of inhibition about communicating on a forum platform, and they're not sure how it's going to go. And And I want you to know that, that it's just not a toxic place. And, and that's why that we don't interact with people on uh, social media. We, we don't have conversations on Facebook, for example, because it can just go sideways quickly. But on our forums, in our community, this is something that we stress and we emphasize it. And it's, it's just the way it's going to be because we just, we just, I don't have time for that. And it's not the way Christians should communicate. And so we have a, a safe place, uh, you could say. Now, again, we're not going to We're not going to recoil back from the truth. We're not going to hide the truth. We'll speak as clearly as we know how according to our understanding of Scripture, but you're not going to get blasted. You will be treated the way that you would expect and the way that you would want people to treat you and would be very kind to you. And so I I wanted to say that perchance some of you are still holding back and you have things that you want to talk about. Maybe there are sensitive things or controversial things. And then as far as communicating on our forums, if, if you're concerned about, you know, names, naming names and so forth, just don't do that. Uh, You can speak in generalities. Uh, You can flatten it out. Uh, You don't have to give geographical locations or names of churches or names of individuals. We're not interested in that anyway. 
uh, what we're interested in is helping you, the subject matter, the, the particular people, the specific people that's involved in your story, uh, that's not important to us. We don't need to know that. And so you can flatten it out and still communicate uh, the 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 important part, the vital part that you won't help with. And you can even change your name. You can use an anonymous name uh, for that matter. I I think a lot of people do that. It's not something that I pay attention to, honestly. But I think if I had to guess, most people do not use their real names. We do. I do. Uh, That's just not an issue with me. I I will say what I have to say, and, and you'll know who said it. But I know that there can be inhibition, and they can have other reasons as well. Uh, to be anonymous, and, and we're fine with that. Just call yourself uh, w- whatever you want to call yourself and communicate what you need to, flatten it out uh, if that's uh, helpful for you and appropriate. And sometimes it is appropriate that you flatten it out because, again, we're not interested necessarily in who the people are or or where they live, but we are interested in helping. And we will be kind to you, and I do want you to know that. And so there was an individual who came to our forum. They recently have uh, suffered the loss of, of multiple people, and I don't know the timeline altogether, but they're struggling with their thoughts about this, and some of these people may not be Christians, and that's what I want to speak to in this podcast. I'm going to do something. I've I've shared bits and pieces of my story before, but as I was reading this individual's thread, I thought, I'm just going to do this podcast for them, and, and I just want to walk through how I worked through the very thing that they are asking. And so I, w- I want to give you a timeline and fill in fill in some uh, data points about uh, the murder of my oldest brother specifically and how all that came about from my perspective and, and the good things that God has done. And my goal here is to, one, exalt the name of God. I want to speak to his goodness. I also want to speak to uh, we can trust him and, and we can rest uh, in the narrative that he is writing in our lives, uh, even when things don't appear to be going the way that we want them to go. And many of you are in that place. As it's not necessarily that somebody has has died or an unbeliever, a family member has, has died. Uh, that might not be your case, but you are in situations that just aren't going how you want them to go. And, and I trust that this podcast will be an encouragement to you uh, that that God would be exalted and and you would find rest and contentment would begin to settle into your soul and 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 you'll be able to overcome whatever thoughts that you have that are corrupting or interfering with your relationship with the Lord and uh, it's just discomfitting your soul and it may be affecting relationships that you have uh, in your in your sphere of influence, and so I trust that this podcast will be helpful to you. And so my brother was murdered in 19, uh, 1988. Uh, it was June of 1988, uh, as I recall, and what he did is he, he broke into a, a mobile home, and he was going after some uh, love letters that uh, he had written uh, with a supposed girlfriend while he was in prison. So he met this girl somehow, and they were writing letters back and forth. And when he got out of prison, he wanted the uh, love letters. Uh, they were in a box, I believe. And so 
the problem was is that this lady was married. And so when he went to this mobile home to get the love letters, uh, there was some kind of confrontation with her husband. As I understand the story, he was sitting in the living room facing the front door. He walked in, my brother did, in the front door. Don't know if he broke it down, don't know uh, all of that. Uh, there's a lot of holes in this story, obviously. And so when he went in, uh, the guy ended up shooting him with a double barrel shotgun. He unloaded both barrels. He uh, shot my brother in, in the head. And at the funeral, my brother's hands were wrapped up in bandages. And the best that we can tell, he put his hands over his face to protect himself. And it really messed up his hands, and they couldn't fix that. So they wrapped his hands in white bandages. His face was pretty much uh, put together. And he fell forward on, on the floor. It, it reminds me of Goliath when David put a a stone in Goliath's forehead. They they say when that happens, you're what you physically you fall forward as Goliath did, and that's what happened to my brother as as well. And then the gentleman took the shotgun and he, uh, holding to the barrel, he turned it around, grabbed the barrel, and he began to pound the back of my brother's head with the stock of the shotgun, and he broke the stock of the shotgun. And so my brother died not from the gunshot wounds, uh, the scatter shot from the shotgun, but from the a beating of the of the back of his head. That's the way he that's the way he died. And then, as the way all that progressed, as far as uh, the authorities are concerned, they didn't do anything to the guy. They called it breaking and entering. And the what one of the uh, uh, police officers said, "This is just one more bad person off the street." And so that's kind of how they uh, processed it, and and that was the end of it. And I buried my brother. Uh, 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 preached the funeral, etc., and 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 that was that. And it was a horrendous story. And uh, you know that's that's what happened. That's just what happened. But I want to give you the backstory. It was a year before that. Uh, it was in July of nineteen eighty. Uh, well, I said nineteen eighty-eight. Actually, it's nineteen eighty-seven that he died, that he was killed, and so. In the summer of 1986, uh, I had been a Christian for two years, and I was burdened for my family. I was the first person out of my family that God regenerated. There were four, four. I had four brothers, so there were there five boys, and then my dad, and my mom. All of us were unregenerate, just a messed up, messed up family. And God regenerated me, just crazy. I mean, just saved me, just pulled me out. Of, of a pit of sin and, and regenerated me. It's an unbelievable thing uh, to think that God can do that. And, and that's important for all of us who don't have hope for loved ones. I mean, we were, we were just bad people, just bad people and completely dysfunctional. And God weaved himself through all of that and found me and rescued me and regenerated me in 84 and I had a huge burden for my family, obviously, and so I witnessed to some of them as I could, but they were all resistant. I mean, they were like me. I get it. I mean, who wants to know anything about God and all this Bible stuff? And 
And uh, we, <laughs> we knew a lot of religious people. We went to church uh, when we were younger, uh, to the First Baptist Church, you know, downtown, and we smoked pot with the deacon's children. So, I mean, we knew religious people. And so we knew it was all a, a sham, and it's just, what, it's just what people did, and we didn't want anything to do with it. So I understand why my family rejected uh, Christ. I, I totally get it. And so, but my heart was so heavy for them. And so in July of 1986, I was at a church meeting, and there was a pastor preaching, and, and he was just talking about uh, loved ones and, and just having a burden for loved ones. And that's where I was at the time. And so I went down to the altar, and, and I, I got on my knees, and I, I prayed, and I asked God. I said, God, do do anything, do absolutely anything that that you want to do. Uh, please, and, so that my family uh, would get saved. I, I was I was kind of parroting what Moses said. Uh, Lord, blot me out of the book of life for the nation of Israel, where it's like Moses was telling God, "Take me, uh, just take me, if you'll save." Uh, my brothers, and then Paul said a similar thing in in Romans that just you you know take me if you just save my brothers, and, and there were two men who were very passionate for people, even to the point of blotting them out of the book of life and just take my life, get rid of me uh, to save them, and the intensity and the passion for uh, the lost. Uh, specifically those that you love, and that's where my mind was, and so I prayed that prayer. I did, and uh, my anticipation was was that God would take my life, that I would die, but it didn't matter. My The burden was just that intense, and so I, I prayed, God, would you just take my life if that's what it takes to save my family? I want my family to know Christ, and so I prayed that way that night, and then I continued to pray that way. And that was from July in 1986, uh, and, and it continued on uh, 1987. And then uh, I got the phone call. Then my mother called me in June of, of 87 and told me that uh, my, my brother had, had been murdered. His name was Robbie, uh, R-O-B-B-Y. Uh, that's the name on his birth certificate, by the way. We're, we're Southern, Southern people. We're Southern rednecks in the southern part of the United States. Uh, so his name was not Robert. We call him Robbie. My name is Ricky. My name is not Richard. Uh, it's R-I-C-K-Y on my birth certificate. Uh, so anyway, uh, his name is Robbie, and, and, I, and she told me that Robbie had been, been killed. And when I heard the news, uh, we talked for a little bit, and then I told my wife that we're, we're going back home, which was 135 miles away in uh, North Carolina. And so we left Greenville and headed back home and made that trek. But before I made that trek, I, I got on my knees and I asked God, I said, God, what, what meanest thou this? I was a KJV only boy at the time. And so some of my prayers were KJV only. And so, dear God, what meanest thou this? Uh, give me a perspective. Why is this happening? And then I also ask the Lord to give me a, give me a message, uh, give me something, because uh, I knew that I would be speaking. I mean, I was the I was the resident prayer 
a praying person at, you know, all the meals now because Ricky is a Christian. And so they called on me to pray. And obviously I was going to be one that spoke at the funeral because I was the only one uh, that was religious at the time. And so I asked the Lord to give me a message. And so as I was going home, God began to open up uh, Romans 16, the Philippian jailer. Uh, I'm sorry, Acts 16, the Philippian jailer. And, and, God gave me some thoughts, some applicable thoughts from that passage that I could apply uh, at the funeral. And basically the thoughts were, were, you know, quite simply is that there was an earthquake and it shook the foundations of the prison and the jailer called for a light and, and Paul and Silas came in. Of course, they offered him, they offered him a, a light, uh, the light of the world. And so I took that and, and ran with it as far as uh, an analogy. And so when I stood up in the pulpit at McEwen Funeral Home in, in North Carolina, I looked out across the audience, and there was a lot of people there. And then over in this side room, I looked, and when I looked, I saw my family. And as soon as I saw them, it connected with me of what I had prayed several months before. God, I want an opportunity to share Christ with my family because they're not interested. And all of them were there. And when I saw that, it was like the Lord was saying, there you go, here's your chance, share the gospel with them. And I did. I mean, I, I, I did. I, it's like, and so I shared the story of Acts 16, and then I, I applied it the way that I outlined, that God had, had, has now sent an earthquake into our family, and the foundations of our prison has been shaken. We're all in prison, incarcerated. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And God is shaking up that foundation, and we need to call for a light, and ask, and the light is Jesus. He's the light of the world, and he can set us free. And I just shared that uh, with with the passion that I had and, and with as much emphasis and force and, and, and desire for my family to become saved. Well, that was on a Saturday, and then the next day, my my uncle became a Christian. I think he became a Christian a lot earlier than that, but in, in the Baptist circles that I ran in, basically the way that you became a Christian is you had to go down to the altar and, and someone had to lead you to Christ. But I think God regenerated him long before that, uh, several hours before that. But God used the death of my brother to regenerate uh, my uncle. And then a few months later, my uh, second oldest brother uh, became a Christian as well. And then sometime after that, my little brother, uh, he's, he's bigger than I am now, but my little brother uh, became a Christian as well. Uh, my other brother has not, as far as I know to this day, has not been regenerated. And then um, my uncle, my two brothers, my mother uh, eventually became a Christian as well. Uh, my mother and the man that she was living with, uh, they got married. My brother and the woman that he was living with, they got married. In fact, they got married on the same day. They had a double wedding. It's always cool that the people that you're living with, uh, that you can have a double wedding. Your, your mother and the person she's living with and her son and the person he's living with can get married 
on the same day. And so God did some miraculous things. And I have shared uh, the story of my oldest brother uh, dying several times and this story here as well, what I'm uh, sharing with you. And there have been many people that have responded to Christ uh, by the hearing of this story. I remember one time preaching in Chalmette, uh, Louisiana, Louisiana, which is just right outside of Nolens, and I was speaking down there, and a young man got saved. And there's been other stories as well. And I think about the story of Samson and the death of Samson, and it says that Dan- Samson uh, killed uh, more people in his death than in his life. And I, I think about uh, how God used his death in just a powerful way, and that's what happened with my brother. My brother had no desire to live for God. He had no desire to, well, let me restate that. He may have had a desire to live for God. He may have had a desire uh, to turn his life around, but he was absolutely caught. He was addicted in, in so much sin, drugs and alcohol and narcissism and just a habituated way of life. I mean, truly what Paul talked about in Galatians 6, that he was caught, captured, incarcerated, and you can say literally and spiritually. He spent from the time he was 18 to the time he was almost 32 in prison. He got out three times and murdered after he got out the third time. And so he was incarcerated physically for virtually all of his adult life, and then, of course, he was incarcerated spiritually. Uh, He did have uh, a Bible, and there was a verse of Scripture, and I don't have it at the top of my mind right now, but it's in Psalms, I'm thinking, uh, Psalms, and I think it was Psalm uh, 27, uh, but it talked about when they encompass you, uh, when the enemy encompass you, God is my strength, and and that's a theme in many of the Psalms, as you as you know. And I've always thought about, you know, that was highlighted, and I I did have the opportunity to witness to him on uh, in April. It was um, Easter. It was Easter uh, Sunday or Palm Sunday uh, in April of nineteen. 87, just a couple of months before he was uh, killed. And I did witness to him. I shared the gospel with him. And it was a remarkable uh, scene uh, in the church meeting that Sunday morning. Uh, The pastor was preaching from Exodus when Pharaoh was chasing Moses across the Red Sea. And it said that uh, the Lord discomfited the the chariots of, of Pharaoh and his army and took the wheels off their uh, chariots and drowned, killed them. And the pastor's message was, you know, what are you going to do when your wheels come off? And there you are. And I just felt strongly impressed to go back to the pew that my brother was standing during the invitation. And I I told him, I, I said, you know, this is about you. Uh, you need to turn to Christ. And it was one of the rare moments in his life to where uh, he could not be all things to all people. A a convict learns, uh, many of them become institutionalized convicts where they learn to play the game and they become anything that they need to become in order to, um, in order to, 
get along with everybody. And so if this is what you want to do, this is what we do. And so they learn, they learn hypocrisy. They take hypocrisy to uh, another level. And he, and he was an institutionalized convict. He learned how to live on the inside and he lived hip, hypocritically as well on the outside. But when I spoke to him that day, uh, he could not manipulate the situation. He was gripping the pew in front of him, and I mean, his knuckles were turning red and blue. He had gripped it so tightly. God was convicting his heart, and he would not turn to Christ, uh, as he didn't tell me. Uh, but, and then he was murdered uh, a few months, a couple of months later in June. And that was the last time I saw him, by the way, that, that Sunday at that church meeting. Uh, and that afternoon, we came back to Greenville after the church meeting on Sunday, and I never saw him again alive. And so my tendency to think that it is possible that he became a believer somewhere in the last six months of his life, and God chose to take him home because he was not going to turn his life around because he was so captured by a lifetime of evil habituation. Now, I don't know that. Obviously, I'm speaking subjectively. There's no way for me to know that. But I struggled, like my friend here who who came to our forum who's struggling with some of the unbelievers that have passed away uh, in her life. And she's really struggling about this idea of heaven and hell. And so I gave her this article, and I'm going to put it in the show notes here to this episode. This is episode 336, and I'm going to put it in episode 336. It's, it's titled, Five Things to Know When Unbelievers Die. And if you're in a situation like that, then I would encourage you to read this article, or you can listen to the podcast that this article lays out. And there are five things that I walk through here. I won't repeat those things here because you can read them uh, if you wish. Uh, they're in this article, again, titled Five Things to Know When Unbelievers Die. But the one thing that I will mention, because I struggled with this, like my friend on the forum, like where did he go? What happens to unbelievers? Is he an unbeliever? And I talked to one of my profs in Bible college. I was at in Bible college at that time, and I just shared with him, this is where I am, and I'm struggling with this, and I don't know if Robbie went to heaven and hell. I mean, I could spiritualize it by the time I witnessed to him in the church meeting on Palm Sunday. I could spiritualize it by the scripture that he had circled uh, in his Bible. You know, I could spiritualize it by uh, thinking about you know how God maybe God used him because he was so entrapped by sin, and this was the best way for God to uh, make His name great and also to use my brother and to remove him because it, he would have just caused more damage if he had lived his life. I could spiritualize it by the amazing results that have happened because of his death. I could do that. All those things are all those things are true. But the one thing that my prof told me, he said, you know, it is subjective and we don't know uh, if he went to heaven and hell, but this is something that you really need to focus on and that is and this is point number 1 in this article, five things to know when unbelievers die. God is good. And that is not just a cliche or a t-shirt. This is a 
reality. Whenever something weakens your faith, the goodness of God is always in question. And in the case of the passing of an unbeliever, we have to guard our hearts against the drifting from the Lord's goodness. I mean, isn't this the accusation of the unbelievers? They ask how a good God can send people to hell. Don't fall for this trap. And what we need to do is we need to take our minds back to the goodness of God and perhaps a character study in the goodness of God or maybe some time in a systematic theology book would benefit you as you think about the love of God and the justice of God. But my prof told me, he said, this will be true when you get to heaven. And if your brother is there, that obviously, that would be out of this world. But if he's not there, somehow, and I don't know how, but you're going to rest and you're going to be okay because of the goodness of God. There will be no more tears in heaven. And all of these things that we struggle with in our fallen bodies are going to go away. And so it's going to be okay. And I cannot explain, he said, I cannot explain any more than that, but we don't need to know any more than that because God is calling us to live by faith. And so if God gave us all the answers, the answers that we want, if he answered all of our questions, our faith would be in those answers that we so long to know. But he wants our faith to be in him. And that was a turning point for me. And I still struggled afterward for a while, but that was that was an anchor in the ground and it's never moved. And I've I've always rested in the goodness of God, even though I do not know the realities of how all these things have turned out. So I share this story. I trust it benefits you. You can check out this article if you wish, and as always, you can talk to us. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.